We live in a really great country. And I'm sure if you live outside of the United States, you feel that you live in a great country too, and I'm sure you do. But the beauty that we can enjoy is just endless. We have lived in western New York where there's the rolling hills and the change of seasons. Snow, if you're into that, I'm not. That's one reason why we're not there. Uh, fruit of many kinds. I mean, there's apples and cherries and peaches and all kinds of berries and grapes, all kinds of grapes, Concord grapes and wine grapes, you name it. Then uh, we lived in flat Delaware, where along the coast there's beach after beach. Uh, we lived in Kentucky, where there's more rolling hills uh, and horses and horses and horses and big, beautiful horse farms. We lived on the Gulf Coast of Florida, uh, where there was more beaches, and it was really hot down there. And then it, we lived uh, in the central Florida, uh, right near where a lot of the huge attractions are, where people from all over the world come to enjoy. And now we're in Oklahoma, where there's ranches and there's cowboys, and it's hot here too, uh, and the wind blows quite a bit. We get a little bit of snow, but just enough to freak people out. We've enjoyed taking in uh, some of these attractions around the country. Uh, we've traveled up and down the United States. We've been from Florida to Maine and uh, Michigan and you name it. Uh, we haven't gone quite coast to coast, not yet. That's coming. But, you know, we most enjoy the natural attractions, uh, the national parks and state parks, the beaches, the mountains, the rivers. You know, when God created the earth, he did everything to make it a beautiful place to live. And he didn't have to. But he did it because he loves us. And he loved us in creation before we were ever on the earth. And he made it different in different parts of the country, in different parts of the world. You know, how boring this world would be if everything was the same throughout the world, that every place was flat, like Delaware or Kansas or wherever, or every place was all mountains, wherever you went. And what if we lived in a world that God decided, well, I'm just going to leave this black and white, okay? I'm, I'm not going to add any beautiful flowers. I'm not going to put up any trees. You know, there's going to be no snow-capped mountain peaks. There's going to be no birds, no animals to enjoy. Or the birds and the animals are there. There's going to be black and white too. And God saw all that he made, and it was very good. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for this very good earth that we are blessed to live on for a short time because we're just passing through. So, Lord, help us to enjoy the things that you have given us to enjoy. And, Lord, to realize that you didn't have to do any of it, but you did it because you love us, and we just praise you for that. So, Father, as we come to your word, Lord, let us see that your word is for today. And, that, Lord, we need to uh, read it, we need to study it, and we need to know that um, you've given it to us uh, just like you've given us everything else in creation. So, Father, open our ears, our minds, our hearts, and Lord, let your Holy Spirit guide us as we listen. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, 
as usual, I'll be using the, the NIV version of the Bible, uh, unless I tell you otherwise. So let's start out in 1 Samuel 15. And there we find King Saul getting himself into a bad situation again. In verses 1 through 3, it says, Samuel said to Saul, I am the one the Lord sent to anoint you king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid or ambushed them as they came up from Egypt. Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, donkeys and camels. In other words, what God was saying is, I want you to totally, totally wipe them out, that there will be no survivors of any kind. Two-legged, four-legged, it doesn't make any difference. I want them dead. Doesn't sound like there's a whole lot of room for misunderstanding there. At the same time, it sounds rather harsh. Not that I want to question God and what he wanted done. But we need to understand that going into this, Saul already was not on God's good side. Okay, if we go back a couple chapters to 13, uh, Saul, he got tired of waiting for Samuel to come and make the sacrifice. And so Saul said, well, you know, Samuel's not showing up. I'm just going to do this myself. Verses 13 and 14 in 1 Samuel 13. Says Samuel says, You have done a foolish thing. You have not kept the command that the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Okay, and Samuel knew and Saul was going to find out that he was going to pay dearly for that. So going back to chapter 15, this would have been Saul's big chance to redeem himself. You know, verses 4 through 8, it tells of the, the crushing attack on the Amalekites. And then it happens. Saul gets himself into more hot water. 1 Samuel 15, 9. But Saul and the army spared King Agag and the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were willing to destroy completely. Excuse me, they were unwilling to destroy completely. But everything else that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Well, the results were not pleasing to the Lord. Verses 10 and 11. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king, because he has turned away from me and not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry, and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Then he set out to find Saul. Okay, verses 13 and 14. It says, 
When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you, I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Well, Saul thought that he had a good answer for Samuel. In verse 15, Saul answered and said, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed the rest. Saul was smart enough at this point to know he was in trouble. Notice Saul's double-sided answer. First of all, he said, well, the soldiers brought them. It was the soldiers that brought the king back. It was the soldiers that, you know, decided to bring back the, the sheep and the cattle and the lambs and the calves, you know. Then after that, he says, but we, you know, me and everybody else, we destroyed all the rest. I mean, we just wiped out everything else. <laughs> well, verse 16 Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Now you can hear Saul thinking, this is not going to be good, I think. You know, I think I'm going to be in trouble here. But he says, tell me. And Samuel has no qualms about telling Saul. Verses 17 and 18. The Lord sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? Samuel has spelled it out for Saul, but he still doesn't get it. Again, Saul tries to make excuses, blaming the others, saying he wanted to make a sacrifice to the Lord at Gilgal. And, you know, we don't know. Maybe Saul had good intentions, but it certainly didn't seem to work out that way. Well, all of this to go where I wanted to go. Verses 22 and 23. Okay. Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams, for rebellion is like the sin of divination, and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Whoa, I don't know if Saul saw that coming. He knew he was in trouble, but I don't think he knew it was that bad. Well, in the following verses, Saul is begging for mercy. And Samuel tells him, You have rejected the word of the Lord, and he has rejected you as king over Israel. You know, you got to try and come up with something and say, Well, you know, I was going to do this, or I, I really had this in mind. You know, go and talk to the Lord for me. Well, it was not a good day for Saul. And it's not a good day for us if we reject God's word. Well, how do we do that? I mean, most all of us own at least one Bible. Probably most of us own more than one Bible. How can we look at that and say, you know, 
I don't know as I believe this, or that's that's just not for today. You know, I, I've done a message about that, how, you know, when it, it tells us to uh, not commit adultery, and some people think, well, you know, you know who's going to know? And it, it's really not a big deal, and everybody's doing it, or pornography, or, you know, whatever it might be. You know, we can rip those pages out. Homosexuality, nah, we don't want to go there. So we'll just rip that sucker out. Well, Saul was given explicit instructions on what he was to do. We're given very straightforward instructions as well. We have ten commandments, not ten suggestions or ten, you know, these would be good things for you to, to consider or no, they're commandments. And Jesus gives us the Reader's Digest version of those in Mark chapter 12. Now, Jesus had been debating with Sadducees. Okay, they were trying to catch him once again. But he was debating them about something that they didn't even believe in, the resurrection. So there's verses 28 to 31 of Mark 12. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Jesus just made it easier to grasp while not changing it at all. Okay, you're just kind of rolling it together. Paul gives us some words of wisdom in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The first part of the chapter is when he's talking to the Corinthians about the giving practices of the Macedonian church. And then he has these words for the Corinthians and us in verses 6 through 8. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves the cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Now, some people struggle with this about giving. Okay, If you talk to them about tithing, they say, oh, you know, that, that's in the Old Testament. You know, that's not something that we need to be concerned about today. Well, yeah, it's in the Old Testament, but it's also in the New Testament. Okay, let's hop back a chapter in 2 Corinthians, <coughs> excuse me, to chapter 8, verses 10 through 12. Paul says, last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it 
may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Now, we go to a church of thousands of people. Even when I was pastoring churches of, you know, 20 people, you know, as pastor, I could have gone to the financial secretary and said, okay, I want to know how much John Doe and his wife are giving. You know, I want to know how much Jane Smith is giving. And, you know, as a pastor, I had the right to do that. I never did it. Not one time. Okay. But in this huge church that we're in, I don't have a clue what anyone gives. But I do know this. Some give a little and some give a lot. Some that give a little, it's because they don't have a lot to give. You know, they're maybe just making minimum wage or just able to work part-time as they're going to school or whatever it might be. And so, you know, they're maybe tithing on that, but it's just not very much. But some, some they're able to give a whole lot more than what they do give. Okay, they may sit down at the beginning of the year and say, okay, I'm going to give $400 this year to the church. Last year I gave them 300 I'm going to give them $400 this year because times are kind of hard. And they think, wow, they've done a great thing. They've written a check or used their credit card to give $400 for the whole year out of their more than what they have to give. So some so little and they reap a little. And then they may wonder, why is why am I not receiving God's blessings? Some that have a lot are reaping a lot because they've been faithful. Now, you may disagree with me on this, but I think the way you give shows the depth of your faith. Okay? You give in accordance to the amount of faith that you have. If you give less than what the Lord would like to see you giving, it's often because you don't have the faith that God will meet your needs. Some people, they trust God with their eternity, but they don't trust God with their money. That's pretty sad. Jesus tells us this in Luke 6, verses 37 and 38. He says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Hmm. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. This is what that sounds like to me. If my giving is like a, a quarter cup size, that's going to be used for me. But if my giving is a five-gallon bucket size, that will be used for me also. Okay, The measure that I use, 
is what's going to be used to give to me. Personally, I would much rather have the five-gallon bucket size given back to me than that measly little quarter cup size. I want to receive God's blessings. Paul writes this to us in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. <clears throat> and this is from the New Living Translation. <clears throat> Excuse me. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. I know I've said this many times before, but we are blessed so we can be a blessing to others. Give generously. Now that may mean something different to each one of us. On Luke 12, Jesus was given the opportunity to share with us verses 13 to 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Well, that man was obviously not the oldest son, because according to Deuteronomy, the oldest son gets a double portion. So if there's ten sons, okay, the oldest is going to get twice as much as the other nine. Well, Jesus said he was not an arbiter or a judge, and that was because it's done by the rabbis. And maybe this man was seeing Jesus in the role of a rabbi. There was a, a saying, and I, I think I saw it on bumper stickers different times, which says, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Well, to counter that, the one who dies with the most toys still dies. Okay, doesn't matter what you got, you know, you're still going to die. You know, it's, you maybe heard it said that, you know, you don't see a U-Haul on the back of the, the hearse going to the cemetery. I know I've shared this before, but I was helping our daughter and son-in-law move, and we had a budget truck, U-Haul truck, whatever it was, and I was driving. And as we were going along, we somehow ended up at the end of a funeral procession going to the cemetery. <laughs> I was really tempted to pull in there behind the last car. But I thought, I don't know if I can get out of there, okay? I don't go driving over anybody's gravestones, end up in jail. So I didn't do it. But too often, people consider their success by the size of their bank account. Well, I've got this much money in this bank, and I get this much money in CDs over here. And, you know, I just, you know, all my bills are paid off, which is a good thing. And so I just got everything I need. 
and some people count their success by the the number of vehicles that they have, the kinds of vehicles. Okay, I mean they're not driving old Chevy pickup trucks and old beat up Oldsmobiles. You know they're they're driving. You know the the not the cheap Mercedes, the C class. They're driving the good Mercedes. They're driving Land Rovers. They're driving Maseratis and you know you name it. That's what they have and. You know, they've got that uh, Ford F-150 that, you know, was like $80,000 or the new Jeep that they just came back out with. It starts at $80,000. And so they're successful. Some people look at their success as their retirement portfolio. You know, I've been putting away money, you know, since I was 16, which is a good idea. But, you know, to them, you know, I'm successful because, you know, I'm going to retire and I'm going to be making twice as much money as when I was working because of all the money that I've put away. And some people look at their success by the stocks that they have. Oh, yeah, I bought this stock when it was, you know, a dollar a share and now it's, you know, split a couple of times and it's $300 a share. And so, you know, I'm right on top of things. And some people, they do look at their success by the number of toys they have. There's a farmer's insurance commercial where that guy that does the commercials is talking to this homeowner and his wife or whoever is driving their car into the garage, which is hooked up to an RV, or not an RV, but a camper, huge camper, you know, and then hooked up to that is this you know, big, beautiful boat. And hooked up to that is, you know, a trailer that has jet skis on it or um, snowmobiles, if you're from where I was from. And so some people look at that and say, wow, you know, just look at all this stuff I got. You know, you just have that, you know, little moped thing that you drive around. And, you know, I've got two Harleys sitting in my garage, you know, so I got bigger, better toys than you got. Why has this happened? Because the world teaches us that these are the most important things. That we have to have the biggest. We have to have the newest. We have to have the best, or at least the best today. And for some people, it's the most expensive. You know, this pair of jeans is no better than that pair of jeans, but they cost $200 more. Okay? And so I got to have that little tag on the back that says whatever. The people are, they're going to know. They're going to know that I'm wearing designer clothes. They're going to know that I have the best of everything. So why did I entitle this message, Not Mine? It's because all that we have belongs to the Lord. The vehicles you drive, new or old, doesn't matter. They're gods. The house you live in, whether it's that little three-bedroom, two-bath on a postage stamp size lot, or whether it's the eight-bedroom, six-bath on an acre of ground or five acres of ground and all these gardens and everything, it all belongs to God. 
you know, and whether you're wearing those designer clothes or wearing stuff that you got at the Salvation Army, it's God's. You know, man, and I don't mean that as man versus woman, but from our world, we're given 100%. And then we have 30, 40, or maybe more taken away. God gives us 100%. And then he asks us to be generous with it, to be generous with it all. And then he says, if you're generous with it all, I'm going to meet your every need. You don't have to worry about it. I want to share with you two verses from the hymn by Albert F. Bailey, who was written back in 1949, good year, year I was born. The name of the hymn is, What Does the Lord Require? This is verses 1 and 3. What does the Lord require for praise and offering? What sacrifice, desire, or tribute bid you bring? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. All who gain wealth by trade, for whom the worker toils, think not to win God's aid, if greed your com commerce toils. Look, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Father, I give you thanks that you do provide for us. Your word tells us over and over in so many ways, so many times, so many places that you're going to meet our needs. Father, help us to realize that that's not an Old Testament thing. It's not just a New Testament thing. That's a you-can-bet-on-it-every-day thing. And so, Lord, help us to, to know that. Help us to believe it. Help us to see that uh, you want us to be faithful in our giving. You want us to be generous in our giving. Uh, and, Lord, you want to bless us in our giving. But, Lord, if there's anyone that's listening to this that doesn't know you, doesn't know your son, Jesus Christ, doesn't know what the Holy Spirit is about, Lord, let them know that they need Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior of their life. Let them know that they've been a sinner, just like me, just like everyone else, that we've all had sin in our lives. And so we need to ask for forgiveness for that. We need to turn it over to you and turn our life over to you. So Lord, let them pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. Thank you for Jesus, who died for my sins. Thank you that he rose from the dead and he's coming again. Lord, let me believe that in my heart, that I'll be ready when he comes back. Father, give me the, the love for others that you want me to have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.